Hi everyone, this is Dr. Michael Walden. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Today's topic is hormone disaster. And the reason I call the show Hormone Disaster is because hormones and their imbalances that can occur throughout our lives do literally cause health disasters. So what my intention is today is to clarify what hormones are, uh, some of their uses. I'll talk about many specific hormones such as growth hormone and DHEA and the estrogens, of course, and many others, and even some of their derivatives. For example, testosterone forms dihydrotestosterone, which can cause uh, baldness or loss of hair in both men and women. I'll talk about melatonin beyond just its use for sleep. In fact, most of the patients that I speak with uh, say they've tried melatonin and it does not work for, for sleep. However, there is a way for hormone to, for melatonin to help your sleep, but not to mention reduce your risk of cancers and all kinds of other extremely useful uh, uses of melatonin. I will talk about thyroid hormone and reiterate some of the very important facts that I mentioned about uh, thyroid hormone on my uh, show that occurred, I think, two or th- possibly three shows back, uh, all about thyroid hormone and autoimmune effects upon the thyroid. You can listen to that show, by the way, uh, on my blog at my website at www.integratednutritionny.com. In fact, you will find all of my radio shows under the blog section, not the video section, although I have around 60 different videos on all sorts of health topics, but under the, the blog section. And for those of you who have a question about the content of this show or would like to submit to me uh, any show topic that that you feel would have relevance to uh, the listening audience, please email that at info, like information, info at blooddetective.com. And for those of you who will inevitably want to work with me for your uh, hormone issues, either in person or uh, via distance, I'm happy to help. My number is 914 241 7030. So we're talking about hormones and hormone disasters. I will distinguish synthetic hormones from what are known as endogenous hormones, the hormones we make in our bodies. And also, um, I might stir up some controversy about the health benefits or so-called benefits of natural hormones in plants. And do plants uh, have hormones in them at all? I'll speak about the fundamental need for hormones in a lot of different body systems, not just the sex hormones. I'll talk about nutrition and its impact on hormones. So let's just get to it, okay? So what what are the factors in our life that could impact hormones? So I, I suppose a common one would be the imbalance of estrogen hormones, which uh, uh, could also cause menopause and, and all the symptoms associated with menopause. Um, but menopause is just one example of a of a physiologic change that causes changes in hormones. But we know that 
virtually all the hormones that you could think of and uh, the ones that I've talked about, again, testosterone, DHEA, the estrogens, dihydrotestosterone, pregnenolone, growth hormone, etc., they can be affected and are, in fact, affected by your diet. Also, your lifestyle in general. Uh, are you very stressed? Stress hormones will cause both increases and decreases of a variety of hormones in the body. So it's very important for you to realize that all hormones have at least this one thing in common. When you make a change in any one hormone, you generally can uh, provoke changes in one or more additional hormones. Just think of the hormones in your body as being all in the same soup, occupying the same soup. If that soup, for example, were uh, had contained salt and you remove the salt, you would affect the entire flavor of that soup. So you cannot affect any one hormone without affecting the other. But I should say that even though it's true that hormones play this orchestrated uh, balancing act, if you will, the measurements of hormone levels on blood work do not always show the changes the changing hormone effects in your body. Let me say that again. Although there are a variety of factors, I just named two, general lifestyle and nutrition, I actually named three, and also just genetics, how aging affects hormones, can and do affect hormone levels. We cannot always measure changes in hormone levels. So, for example, if you have an increase in thyroid hormone, many of us would hope to have an increase in metabolic rate from that increase in thyroid hormone. Sometimes we will look at a blood test and thyroid hormones will in fact be increased. But other times, the level of hormones may not be increased. In this case, we're talking about thyroid hormone. But because our cells are particularly receptive to thyroid hormone, those cells of the body let's say fat cells or brain cells, would increase their uptake or sensitivity, it's called, hormone sensitivity, to, in this case, thyroid hormone, and it would that, that thyroid hormone level would act as if it were much higher, even though the level didn't change. Let me give you the reverse example. Many people suffer from symptoms of hypothyroidism, slow metabolic rate, dry skin, constipation, bumps on the skin, a dull thinking, the list goes on and on, uh, feeling cold all the time. When their thyroid hormone, in fact, on a blood test, might actually be elevated. You would think, if you know anything about thyroid hormone, that if levels go up, you're supposed to have a faster metabolic rate. Your thinking should be faster. Your transit time of things through your intestinal tract should be quicker, not slower. But as your body has this increased thyroid hormone level occurring over time, Sometimes the cell's receptivity to the thyroid hormone gets less receptive. So the body, what does it do? It's smart. It increases the thyroid hormone even more. But the cells say, wait a second, I don't want all of that. I'm going to become less receptive to that thyroid hormone. So thyroid hormone receptor sensitivity is a very important factor in the ultimate effects that hormones have upon your body. And some of you are thinking, well, how do we know that we that I might have a thyroid hormone receptor problem? Well, 
That's figured out based on the clinical common sense of the healthcare provider, but also a lot of other uh, symptoms, a lot of other tests, uh, and simply your symptoms. So if your blood work shows, in this case with thyroid hormone, that your thyroid hormone is high, or that your TSH hormone, thyroid stimulating hormone, is low, you're supposed to be, in the textbook that is, supposed to be feeling hyper thyroid symptoms, which means symptoms of high thyroid. But if you're complaining of symptoms of low thyroid, then you probably have thyroid hormone sensitivity issues. Even endocrinologists, hormone doctors, do not measure lots of thyroid hormone, uh, not just thyroid hormone levels, but hormone levels in general, because they recognize this concept of thyroid hormone sensitivity. And another example might be we know that in breast cancer, in both men and women, that estrogen is a driver, and so is progesterone in, in, in many cases, of breast cancer. But the oncologist or the endocrinologist knows this because they learned about this. They don't bother checking levels of these hormones because virtually everyone, not everyone of course, but virtually everyone with breast cancer will have normal levels of hormones. But the cell's receptivity to these bad estrogens, for example, might be much increased. And that is something that's simply induced by the brains of these doctors saying, well, that must be what's going on given what we know about these hormones. So let's back up. Let's back up for a second. All hormones in the body are affected by what you eat, what you absorb, and what you don't eat. Your general lifestyle, including your level of stress, your level of exercise, lack of exercise, too much exercise, too much sleep, not enough sleep, too much stress. No such thing as too little stress, right? <laughs> also your emotions. Every single thought, feeling, and emotion, an, an emotion comes with it uh, or brings with it changes in hormones. Your age, in a general, from a general perspective, as we grow older, we have a decline in certain hormones like growth hormone, thyroid hormone, estrogens, and we tend to have an increase in bad hormones because the body's balance is simply thrown off by what I would call unhealthy aging. It is certainly possible with some focused effort to maintain very hormonal, uh, very, very healthy hormonal balances uh, very late uh, in life. And of course, an obvious example of hormonal imbalance, or I should say hormonal changes, are ovulation. So what are some more common uh, symptoms of hormonal balance? Well, irregular periods are a sign of hormonal imbalance. Infertility certainly is. What many fertility specialists miss is uh, the contribution of thyroid hormone imbalance to infertility. It's, it's shocking to me. I'll have a patient come in and they'll have gone through um, years of infertility treatment, spending tens of thousands of dollars, and we measure uh, her thyroid function and it's clearly abnormal. We fix it and then she can have babies. I had a patient that... Uh, was so grateful to me for help in this area that she named her baby after me, which was um, astounding. But then again, it's a pretty popular name, Michael, so <laughs> I won't take it too personally. Also, other factors that change hormonal imbalance, weight gain or weight loss. 
So weight gain. When uh, we gain weight, let's uh, women in particular will have a much higher estrogen uh, production in the fat tissue. So fat produces estrogen, and as the kind of estrogen, as you would guess it, that fat produces is usually uh, a type of estrogen that is considered bad. We're going to talk about the good and bad estrogens in a little bit. But because fat stores increase this bad estrogen, the good estrogen that's floating around is simply overcome by the bad. So we see much higher risks of uh, breast cancer and ovarian cancer in obese uh, individuals. What's interesting, though, is when these individuals go through, let's say, chemotherapy, they usually survive better than their thinner counterparts. Yeah, and you know why that is? I've mentioned this in the last show. There's a this saying that I have, uh, and it goes like this, the solution to pollution is dilution. So when a, an obese or an overweight person with more fat on them is exposed to chemotherapy, some of that chemotherapy makes its way into fat tissue, reducing the overall toxic effects on a, uh, a, a heavier person compared to a thinner per, uh, woman. Yes, yeah, one of those interesting things. You know, there's even a study that suggests that smokers might have lower risks of breast, of, I'm sorry, of um, lung cancer. So why would smokers have a lower risk of lung cancer? Well, there is a, a, a logical explanation for it. And it basically is that when a person smokes and is constantly taking in that kind of toxicity, they upregulate the detoxification pathways in their body exponentially. And by doing that, they also can detoxify various toxins that are known to trigger breast cancer. Now, I wouldn't start smoking. Uh, for those of you who are you know, smart Alex out there thinking you're going to start smoking to reduce your risk of breast cancer. But um, all I'm saying is that if you are exposed to toxins, your body should increase its ability to deal with toxins. And that could reduce your risk of other conditions. Of course, life is never this easy, right? There's all sorts of counterbalancing factors. So we're not going to find that everyone who smokes is going to have lower uh, breast cancer risk. But it was found in one particular study. Let's move on. So other factors is what we're talking about that can create hormonal imbalances. Depression can do that. Anxiety. Again, changes in mood are associated with various uh, corresponding changes in neurotransmitters and certain hormones. Anxiety is an easy one to understand. Think of anxiety as what it is. It's a sort of a stress. Even though anxiety or anxiety attacks, can uh, they just happen. There doesn't have to be a known trigger, but a certain physiology occurs. And it always involves some increase in stress hormones like, like cortisol. And with depression, we have changes in certain neurotransmitters in the brain like serotonin, which is a mood elevator. It's also an anti-inflammatory. But when we have changes in, in those neurotransmitters, we have uh, corresponding changes in other hormones. All so-called systems of the body are related. They're not merely related. They are part of a system, just like hormones. All hormones are part of a system. And I don't care if the practitioner is a holistic hormone doctor or is a regular OB or endocrinologist. When anyone focuses on one or two hormones only, 
Uh, first of all, it's not possible to do that because of the relationship and the orchestrated way in which hormones simply talk to one another. That's called hormone crosstalk. So it's very important to create some fundamental nutritional changes in an individual wanting to balance hormones. And yes, sometimes it is important to provide someone with a what's called a bioidentical hormone, but we also want to be mindful of providing the proper nutrition and lifestyle management to help the entire body reduce its stress. The liver must be supported. The uh, small intestine must be supported because these are some of the major organs that, that handle hormone balance. So we need a total personalized approach to hormone imbalance, not just throwing one natural hormone at a person or another. Just a quick word about natural hormones. We'll get more into that in a moment. But if you are taking natural hormones, you need to think that they're not your hormones. So uh, to call them natural is a little strange. Uh, natural in the sense that they are not synthetic, you might be thinking. That's usually what people mean when they say they're taking natural hormones. Either that they're natural, meaning not synthetic, or and that the hormone to be natural uh, it must be identical in structure to what your body makes. So yes, if someone takes pregnenolone, natural, so-called natural progesterone, natural estrogen, it can be the exact structure of the hormones that your body makes, but all of the so-called natural hormones are synthetic. They are made in a laboratory. You're saying, no, no, nope. I have uh, natural progesterone or natural hormones and my doctor wrote a script for them and they say natural on them and they are not uh, synthetic. They come from wild yams, for example, or soy. Well, what happens is these plants, yams and soy, there are certain molecules in them that look very much like hormones, like estrogen and progesterone, but they, they're not quite the same structure. They're very, very similar. But similar when it comes to hormones is not enough. The body doesn't work on similar. It needs the same in certain circumstances. So these plants are manipulated in the laboratory. Um, they're acted upon by certain enzymes which would turn them into identical hormones that you would need and benefit from. But human beings, women, for example, do not have that hormone that they use in the lab. I'm sorry, do not have that enzyme that is used in the lab to convert the plant products into the so-called bioidentical hormones. So just from a semantics perspective, just realize that your so-called natural hormones, they're synthetic. But if we can get beyond that, they can still have some tremendous health benefits. Other factors that can um, that are signs or symptoms of hormone imbalance would include insomnia. If you can't sleep, you've got hormonal imbalances. Uh, fatigue or chronic fatigue, low libido, changes in your appetite, and any number of digestive issues because the digestive tract is acted upon by hormones and also partly metabolizes hormones. So for those of you out there who are just joining us, my name is Dr. Michael Wald. I'm known as the Blood Detective and you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. We're talking all about hormones and the show title is Hormone Disaster because basically people need to know a lot more than they think they do about hormones. So let's 
move on and talk about some symptoms of estrogen uh, dominance because estrogen is a common uh, hormone. Everyone, virtually everyone has heard of it. So let's just cover some basics here. So if estrogen is in the body too much, a woman would generally experience breast tenderness and fibrocystic breasts, or I should say, or fibrocystic breasts, which is a benign condition of cyst formation all over the breast. Some women have this, uh, it's quite severe, and they get alarmed with it, and the doctors um, will always recommend a mammography when they feel fibrocystic breasts because uh, it's so difficult to identify cancer among fibrocystic breasts because it's just difficult to read it. So you need to be monitored if you're a woman very carefully out there if you have fibrocystic uh, breast disease, particularly if you have, you know, if you live off the typical or standard American diet, what we call the SAD, SAD diet, which is high in refined and processed sugars. You know, as our intake of refined and processed sugars have increased over the last hundred or so years and our intake of toxic meat products and poultry and fish have increased and also heavy metals in our foods like mercury and fish, which is a hormone disruptor, by the way. Heavy metals are hormone disruptors in almost every case, meaning if you're exposed to heavy metals, your body's going to have hormonal issues. They may be very subtle hormonal issues that trigger cancerous effects, or they may be milder hormonal issues like uh, irregular periods, but you'll have hormonal issues at some point. And I think it's also important to uh, mention to you that one of the heavy metals, uh, cadmium, uh, is an estrogen mimicker. It acts like estrogen, except it's hundreds of times, or if my memory serves from reading the literature on this, thousands of times higher in terms of potency as an estrogen. So enough estrogen will be a cancer-causing agent. And you know, I remember, I, I want to tell you a brief story when I was practicing, uh, boy, it must have been about 20 years ago in New York City on the east side, I had a patient, a young, a young lady uh, that I felt had estrogen imbalance. And we did some testing. We looked at her, what are called 12 uh, estrogens and six estrogens, which are different structural forms of estrogens. Long, long story short, uh, I believe that she was predisposed to breast cancer and she had fibrocystic breasts. And her, her husband... Um, was a, a medical doctor and uh, he, we had a conversation and he was a bit shocked and he had no idea that estrogen uh, could be a cancer causing agent. He even did a medical search online and he said, I, I couldn't find anything on this. And then I, I searched with him and uh, it was clear he simply didn't know how to do a proper medical search. Uh, now, of course, things are very different than they were 20 or plus years ago. We know, and it's taught in biochemistry programs in postgraduate university settings, that estrogen, if you're exposed to it enough, will give you cancer. The reason I told you this story was because flash forward about 15 years when I was taking a refresher biochemistry course, the professor who I had had in another college before, she was quite brilliant, she mentions exactly what I'm talking about during uh, the lesson on estrogens, talking about how the chemical structure of estrogens and how they cause cancer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then she goes on to another topic and I said, hold it, professor. I have a question. How come physicians 
and people don't know what you just said and you just said it like it was a, you know, a nonchalant statement and you moved on. She says, I don't know. They don't know their biochemistry. So, um, you know, the thing about doing nutrition correctly is the practitioner really must understand biochemistry. So if your nutritionist, for example, took some online course and learned about 15 diets but doesn't understand biochemistry, that's not going to cut it because diet alone doesn't cut it. Diet is important. Yes, should you eat more vegetables in your diet? Should you eat closer to a vegan or vegetarian diet? Absolutely. The best hormone-based diet, in my opinion, is a vegan diet. I myself are a vegan. Any diet that is higher in vegetables and fruits is going to be cancer protective, is going to promote better hormone balance. I just mentioned a few moments ago that high sugar diets are bad. They promote all sorts of hormonal imbalances. Diets that are low in fiber promote hormonal imbalance because fiber will bind to various hormones in the intestinal tract and bring them out into the stool. If your diet is low in fiber, then what happens is those hormones like Estrogens that your body sort of used up and secreted into the colon, they can resorb, get sucked back in the body unless we bind them with fiber. So I use my Fiber Complete product. You can find that at blooddetective.com, Fiber Complete. But we also want, uh, now we're getting into some of the practical suggestions here, we, we want a very strong probiotic, both an antifungal probiotic and an antibacterial probiotic because they have different effects upon the immune system in the, in the intestinal tract. So I use my Superbugs product and something called Saccharomyces boulardii. Probiotics in the intestinal tract denature. They break down these hormones in the gut. So if you're just taking some bioidentical hormone and you're not really managing your nutrition by taking Superbugs probiotic or any probiotic that is pharmaceutical grade, Saccharomyces boulardii, if you're, you need to be taking a fiber complete product like my fiber complete, and I base the doses of things usually on individual factors with people, of course, but for those of you who choose to take my products, you would just follow the directions on the bottles to start. So let's move on and talk about some, some additional symptoms of uh, estrogen dominance. We mentioned breast tenderness. We mentioned fibrocystic breast disease. Weight gain, weight gain, especially in the abdomen, the hips, and the thighs, are generally a sign of hormonal imbalance. And gaining weight in those areas will also cause more hormonal imbalance. So when, I, uh, when I'm visited by women who have significant problems losing weight, I always work on their hormone imbalance. It's not simply a matter of reduction of calories and exercise, although reducing calories in some areas and increasing calories in certain healthy food areas and exercise, of course, do affect health overall and hormone imbalance. But if the hormone imbalance is serious enough, women will find that they're reducing their calories and exercising and they've tried all these different diets, this is what they will tell me, and they do not lose any significant weight. And as they get older, this problem gets even worse because the hormonal imbalances just get more rigidly stuck where they are. But they can be changed with the, with the, correct, the correctly focused lifestyle changes and nutritional changes. Again, more symptoms of estrogen dominance would be decreased libido, mood swings, 
PMS and depression all can be from estrogen dominance, irregular cycles, heavy bleeding, painful menstrual bleeding and periods. Now also thyroid dysfunction can be caused by estrogen dominance. So I see these women diagnosed with hypothyroidism, low thyroid, but the, the, it's being caused by estrogen dominance. And then there's endometriosis. This is clearly an estrogen dominant condition. But because, so let's talk about this for a minute. We, I just said that these are some of the symptoms of estrogen dominance, right? So the question you might want to ask yourself is, well, if that's true, if, if breast tenderness, fibrocystic breast disease, breast cancer, increased weight gain around the hips and thighs and inability to lose weight easily, decreased libido, mood swings, PMS, depression, irregular cycles and painful you know, periods and thyroid dysfunction and endometriosis, if these are all from estrogen dominance, what caused the estrogen dominance, right? It didn't, didn't cause itself, right? It's like if someone's blood sugar is elevated, uh, you might want to ask, well, what causes that? What, you know, what causes that? And you're thinking, well, sugar. Well, actually, no. Sometimes sugar intake will cause an increase in blood sugar, but it shouldn't in a relatively healthy person who's consuming sugar at a, a relatively reasonable rate. The point is a person can eat, the person could be uh, exposed to toxins, by the way, in, breathe, in air that you breathe, which can cause hyperglycemia or high blood sugar, even diabetes. Yep. So I'm just giving you an example of, of a very, not a rare example, how toxins can affect the pancreas. And that affects the pancreas secretion of insulin, which helps balance blood sugar, which can affect blood levels on a blood test. So just like that example, the hormone imbalances, whether it's estrogen or thyroid hormone that you're reading on a blood test, they may be caused and often are caused by causes that are not hormones at all, like toxins, such as heavy metals, or stress, or lack of sleep. You following me? Okay. So for those of you who are just joining us, and for those of you that have been listening, let me go over maybe the top Six, real quickly, uh, specific problems associated with some of the most common hormonal imbalances. One we were just talking about is estrogen dominance. So if you have too much estrogen in your body, you'll have changes in your sleep patterns. You'll have changes in your weight. Your appetite will be affected. You'll, you'll perceive stress at a more sensitive, in a more sensitive way, meaning a small amount of stress can affect you more profoundly because of estrogen dominance and a slow metabolic rate from estrogen dominance. Another common problem associated with hormonal imbalances, very, very common, is PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, which generally results in fertility issues, almost always weight gain, absolutely higher risk for diabetes, acne, and abnormal hair growth on the body. Another common hormonal imbalance is the opposite, which is low estrogen which can cause low sex drive, reproductive problems, menstrual irregularities, changes in mood. And then everyone's favorite is hypothyroidism, which is characterized by slow metabolism, weight gain, dull thinking, brain fog, feeling cold all the time. What are some others? Fatigue, obviously, anxiety, irritability, digestive issues like constipation, and irregular periods. Another common hormonal imbalance is low estrogen, 
which in men will result in erectile dysfunction. In both men and women, it can result in weight, I'm sorry, in muscle loss, loss of lean organ mass and muscle loss. Metabolic rate lives in the muscles. If you lose muscle, you will gain weight. If you lose lean mass, which muscle is an example of, your risk of all cause, morbidity and mortality increases. Low testosterone will cause weight gain, fatigue, and all sorts of mood-related uh, problems. And then there's the opposite of low thyroid. There's high thyroid or hyperthyroidism. And, um, and, a, and a, an example of hyperthyroidism is Graves' disease. So with too much thyroid hormone, we're looking at anxiety, jitteriness, uh, thinning hair, weight gain, irritable bowel syndrome, trouble sleeping, irregular heartbeats, you can see that almost everyone out there has some of these symptoms. And you might be thinking, well, which hormonal imbalance do I have? Remember, I'm speaking about them as if they're separate, but they commonly occur together in some way, shape, or form. And that is what needs to be identified through carefully constructed hormone questionnaires. I have a very detailed questionnaire regarding hormones. I have all of my clients fill out that really want to get to the end of this uh, hormone uh, imbalance issue. And then we may do some testing and we take it from there. Another example of a common hormonal problem is diabetes. And if you're thinking, hey, I don't have diabetes, I can check out on this one, as Dr. Wall discussed it, don't check out because you can develop diabetes and if you have pre-diabetes, you can still have all of these symptoms. And pre-diabetes is where the, the problems really start. Once you're diagnosed, uh, all the damage has been done. But doctors seem to wait until you're officially diagnosed. So diabetes is a common hormonal imbalance. So we're going to see weight gain in diabetes, nerve damage, what they call neuropathy, a higher risk for vision loss, fatigue, trouble breathing, dry mouth, and all kinds of skin problems. And then there's adrenal fatigue, another common hormonal imbalance, which will result in fatigue and muscle aches and pains, anxiety, depression, trouble sleeping, brain fog, and reproductive problems. And just to reiterate what I mentioned earlier about some causes or combination of factors that might promote hormone imbalances are genetic susceptibility, uh, being overweight or obese, sometimes food allergies or different gut issues. There's, there's expanding research that shows that allergies can trigger certain chemicals that therefore, and then affect hormone regulation. So if, you're, if you think you have, for example, a condition known as leaky gut syndrome, then uh, that will that affects the function of the gut, which can affect the metabolism of hormones in the intestinal tract. And, there's, and also, of course, the balance of the probiotic bugs in a leaky gut is disturbed. And we spoke about earlier how different probiotics help to metabolize uh, these hormones. So there's food allergies and leaky gut and just general intestinal issues, low stomach acid also, being obese or weight uh, or overweight. And even having high inflammation, uh, can, uh, which can be caused by poor diet and other, and even a sedentary lifestyle, will create hormonal problems. And then the important one, toxicity, exposure to toxins like uh, 
viruses and pesticides and cigarette smoke and, and breathing, um, uh, alcohol, and just harmful chemicals that we find all around us. These and other factors will impact our hormone imbalance. So let's talk about the diet with some specifics. How can we make simple changes in our diet and also in our supplementation so that we can promote better hormonal balance? Before I go over this, I just want you to realize too, if you don't already, that just because you make these changes doesn't mean it's going to miraculously fix your hormones. And these changes I'm about to discuss could actually fix your hormones, but depending on your the rest of your health and other factors, it could take several years. So that's why individual work gets down to what an individual needs. But overall, I could sit could tell you that I believe that the use of coconut oil is a good idea, as well as uh, avocados, which are monounsaturated fats. They lower inflammation. They help control appetite. They have a good amount of fiber. They're very rich in potassium. All things that help overall health and hormonal balance. And then increasing one's intake of omega-3 fatty acids. I use an omega-3 fat known as krill oil because uh, krill oil has a very good balance of EPA and DHA, which uh, again, research shows uh, helps protect the nervous system and reduce inflammation in the body. And the nervous system, by the way, gives messages to the hormonal system. So we can't get away from needing to support the whole body when it comes to hormones. So the brain and the brain stem, for example, uh, the pituitary gland, which is part of the brain, you know, these areas must be supported because they make hormones. And the hormones that are, or the hormone messengers that are made, for example, in the anterior and the posterior pituitary gland, they communicate with hormones throughout the body. So we need omega-3 fats for central nervous system protection. Um, the best fat for central nervous system protection is DHA oil. And uh, I make this in a metals-free form, and it's called DHA liquid. You can find that on blooddetective.com. I usually start my patients with a tablespoon for, per, uh, per day. And then I do uh, hear sometimes people will take evening primrose oil for their their hormone issues. I, I disagree with this. Um, you want to stay clear from uh, fats that are omega-6s, um, like evening primrose oil. Also, safflower and sunflower oil, corn oil, cottonseed, canola, peanut and soybean oil. Those are all pro-inflammatory omega-6s. You want to increase only your omega-3s. So, Possibly wild fish, although as a vegan, I don't go near fish. It's all toxic as far as I'm concerned. Flax seeds and flaxseed oil are good, except the omega-3, 6s, and 9s that are flaxseed have to be converted into active forms. And many people don't have the nutrition for that. So whenever I work with those with hormones, I give them uh, buffered C capsules, which is a highly buffered form of vitamin C which uh, helps with hormone conversion and stability and uh, keeps hormones sort of fresh in the body, along with my product called Active Folate, which contains a specific type of folic acid and synergist that are the active forms which are needed for proper hormone and balance and health. And I mentioned the DHA liquid earlier. 
And now I'm going to talk about a variety of, uh, of herbs that are important for uh, general hormonal health. With few exceptions, when I work with individuals who want to work on a bunch of hormonal problems, I'll usually start them on my, my fundamental sort of tincture of, of herbs. One is uh, abbreviated erythro, and the other is kelp. Another herb is astragalus. Then there's black cohosh, chase tree, saw palmetto, parsley, alfalfa, and prickly ash bark. Now I have all of these together. And this um, endocrine tincture, I'll, I call it, is made in, to support the hormonal organs overall. And then with an individual person, I then tweak specific hormonal pathways through diet, through exercise, through lifestyle, and through supplementation. But each of these herbs contributes something very important for overall uh, endocrine or hormonal health. The elithero, for example, is um, Siberian ginseng, and it's known as an adaptogenic herb. And it basically is very good for adrenal function. We have to support adrenal function first in people because any healing that you need to get motivated in an individual will be blunted, will be adversely affected if the adrenal resiliency is not there. So erythero also, besides being an herb adaptogen for the adrenal gland, helps improve attention. It helps alleviate depression. It can increase one's tolerance to stress. I'll always use it with individuals with any chronic health problems because the word, the, the active word there is chronic. If something is ongoing, the adrenal glands are generally weak. A person may not, may not suffer from a, a clinical case of Addison's disease, which is like adrenal failure, but they may have some percentage of adrenal stress. Also, erythro is fantastic in cardiovascular disease. And then there's kelp. Uh, kelp is traditionally used to support hormonal function focused on the thyroid, but the thyroid is connected to the adrenals and the thyroid is connected to the anterior pituitary. You know, the, the thigh bone's connected to the knee bone and the knee bone's connected to, you get it? So these are all connected. So I use kelp and most people, unless I think they, they have some sort of adverse effect. So kelp is a seaweed, which is a concentrated source of iodine, but also potassium, magnesium, calcium, and iron. And then in addition to the erythro and the kelp, I add saw palmetto. What's so amazing about saw palmetto is that it contains a, a wonderful balance of what are known as flavonoids, which are very strong antioxidants. They help the cell receptivity that we talked about earlier. And saw palmetto also contains fatty acids, which are anti-inflammatories. And what are known as sterols, which are plant alcohols, which inhibit something called DHT from forming in the body. Uh, DHT is dihydrotestosterone, and that can cause loss of hair in men and women. So whenever the women come in to see me and I, they look at them and their, their hair is obviously thinning, I'm going to put them on saw palmetto, but also in a base of all of these herbs that I have in a tincture. And uh, in men, saw palmetto blocks testosterone and dihydrotestosterone that can stimulate growth of the prostate gland. And I also have in my sort of endocrine-based formula parsley root. So 
parsley is uh, native to the Mediterranean, and it's, of course, a widely used uh, culinary herb. But what's really not as well known about parsley root is that it's a very potent a diuretic. So that means it helps to pull excessive fluid off the body. This is an issue that women have, excessive fluid. Also, it helps tone the urinary tract. So poor tone will cause leaking. And that, that is an all too common problem that I help my patients with. And so whether it's urinary tract and disorders, even infections, uh, digestive problems, painful menstruation, high blood pressure, parsley root has a lot of, of uh, wide variety uh, effects upon the body. Even bronchitis and allergies can respond to partly, parsley root. And um, I suppose the last thing I should mention about parsley is that it is very high in minerals and vitamins, including calcium and vitamin C. And then there's astragalus. So again, this is another ingredient that I have in a liquid tincture called endocrine base that I'll put all of my patients on as a baseline and then individualize beyond that based on my very detailed hormonal questionnaires and then my review with those that I'm sitting with or speaking to over the phone at a distance to figure their hormones out. So astragalus membranicus is another one and that is an adaptogen. For those of you who do not know what an adaptogen is, adaptogenic herbs are simply herbs that have the ability to balance hormones. They have a tendency to take hormones that are too high and bring them down or too low and bring them up. But of course, life is not that simple, so that doesn't always work. But the point is that these adaptogenic herbs, they don't force the body to go one way or another if it doesn't want to go that direction. Unlike hormones that a person might take from outside that will only push the hormone levels up, whether they're natural and synthetic or unnatural and synthetic. Now let's talk about supporting the adrenals more specifically. I just gave a list of several hormones, erythro, kelp, or I should say herbs, erythro, kelp, astragalus, black cohosh, chase tree, saw palmetto, parsley, alfalfa, and prickly ash. I use those as an endocrine or hormonal base. Then we have to support the thyroid. I'm sorry, <laughs> getting too excited. The adrenal glands, the adrenal glands, because any work we're going to do with a person has to have adrenal gland support because the adrenal gland will become wasted in its, uh, in its uh, attempts to, to manage corrections. So the key adrenal hormones are a cordyceps, mycelium extract, which basically is a medicinal mushroom from China and Tibet. And this is particularly good for supporting the adrenals, which are needed, strong adrenal function, whenever we're trying to improve anything immune, anything autoimmune, if you're exercising hard, if you're very sexual, and you have a lot of energy or you want to improve your energy, cordyceps mycelium is excellent for that. And then panax ginseng, or Chinese ginseng, or Asian ginseng. So this stuff has been used since like the first century, you know, it's crazy. And it contains, the panic ginseng contains these uh, ginsenicides and other very important plant elements, which again, very potent immune balancing effects, very effective for lowering blood sugar, improving libido, erectile dysfunction. Even sperm counts have been shown to increase in studies using panic ginseng and enhancing intellectual performance, helping brain fog, and uh, physical prowess overall. And then I mentioned erythro. 
uh, erythrococcus. I combine that with the Panax ginseng, with the cordyceps for supporting the adrenals. You'll always want an ashwagandha, which is native to uh, Sri Lanka, India, uh, Pakistan, uh, Africa, and now we, we have it in the United States. It's a relaxing adaptogenic tonic. So it's, it's usually for building up people who are debilitated from just long-term stress or, or illness or infections like Lyme disease. And it helps also in both acute stress and chronic stress. It's great for infl- inflammation. It's fantastic for anxiety and really good for insomnia. Then there's rhodiola and there's glyceriza. So let's talk about glyceriza for a moment because this is a popular one. So it's commonly known as licorice. That's what glyceritic acid is. And the plant has a variety of actions which helps the body recover from long-term stress because it increases, listen to this, it increases what's known as the half-life of cortisol. So if cortisol normally hangs out in the body for, let's say, a few hours, it'll hang out in the body for a few more hours. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a second, I thought cortisol was that bad stuff that's associated with belly fat? That's in excessive amounts. We're talking about restoring normal amounts. Okay, very, very important. We don't want to generalize. This is a bad hormone. That's a bad hormone. Just like fats, bad fats, good fats. We know not all fats are the same. But licorice is a, it's critical for any condition of inflammation. And if you're human, you have inflammation. Licorice blocks these very potent inflammatory mediators known as leukotrienes. And therefore, if, if glyceritic acid, if licorice can do that, it has a very potent anti-inflammatory effect because leukotrienes promote inflammation. So the other very important use of glyceriza or licorice is those with low blood pressure. So if you have high blood pressure, you do not want to use glyceriza. You would want to use a form of licorice where the glyceritic acid is removed, which is called deglycerinated or DGL. Maybe that's a topic for another show, but for those with low blood pressure, those who are dealing with digestive problems and viral problems, the glyceritic acid or the glycerizer from licorice is fantastic. When you combine, when you get the nutritional synergism of glyceriza, of rhodiola, of ashwagandha, of erythrococcus and cordyceps and panax ginseng, you've got a very serious adrenal support. So let's go back to a few other interesting facts about hormones as we kind of summarize and pull together some important concepts. Now, before I do that, for those of you who want to work with me on this or any other important health topic, either face-to-face or uh, in person, um, I'm sorry, at a distance, you can call me at 914 Five five two one four four two, and you can certainly email me your questions at info at blooddetective.com and please post your questions on my blog at uh, www.integratednutritionny.com. So when we think about hormonal pathways, we need to also keep in mind cholesterol because cholesterol is a precursor to lots of hormones, meaning it forms other hormones in the body. That doesn't mean if you eat cholesterol in your diet, you're going to uh, make uh, profound effects upon your hormones in your body. It's really the cholesterol that your body makes in the liver 
although there are definitely are exceptions to that. So if you're a person who reduces their fat because you think fat is not, not good for you, and you should reduce bad fats. We, we named many of them earlier in the show. But the thing is, if you don't have proper healthy fats like monounsaturated fats and olive oil and avocados and the fats that you'll find that are in raw walnuts and, uh, and almonds and, and sunflower seeds and, and cashews, for example, uh, your liver will probably be hypometabolic or low functioning and not produce enough natural cholesterol. And cholesterol forms many hormones. One of those hormones is pregnenolone. Pregnenolone is an anabolic hormone, which is a good thing. It increases lean body tissue on the body, which, which helps burn fat. When we had those baseball players hitting 50, 60 home runs a year, they were, a lot of them were on pregnenolone, not progesterone, pregnenolone. So I try to improve the my patient's hormonal production as naturally as possible first. Then I might give them pregnenolone. If their body cannot make it, maybe it can't make it because of the way that they've aged. So once you've maxed out what the body can do, you want to use these natural hormones. But if you give these natural hormones too early, then you basically shut down the body's production of hormones. And that's called negative feedback. So cholesterol forms pregnenolone, as I said. It forms progesterone, testosterone, and even good estrogens. So it's important to... Look at diet, look at lifestyle and stress, sleep, water, food, exercise, all of that. Then give the proper hormonal balance, which may be in the form of non-hormones. For example, DHA or EPA, DHA fish oils help hormone balance. Milk thistle, which I'll use in my milk thistle product, always, always giving that for a person who we need to work on hormonal issues because the liver must be supported. The liver can become fatigued dealing with these issues. It can oxidize. And milk thistle is a very potent liver antioxidant and it helps liver detoxification of uh, bad hormones and thus hormone balance can be improved. So think of it this way. In the liver and also the small intestine, there's different estrogens. They're called E1, E2, and E3. And they are detoxified in the liver and small intestine into these different kind of products. So E1, which is estrone, E2, estradiol, E3 is estriol. They form two estrogens. You need to know these. One is called 16 estrogen and the other one's called 2 estrogen. The 16 estrogen is bad. It's pro-cancer forming. And the good estrogen is the 2 estrogen. So this is why we need to get the right nutrition going in the form of diet and supplements to to promote the production of the anti-cancer 2 estrogen in the liver and small intestine. We do not want that 16 estrogen being produced. So cruciferous vegetables, um, the active form of folic acid, which is in my active folate supplement, flax seeds, which have lignans in them, very important to promote the healthy estrogen formation in the small intestine and the liver known as the 2 estrogen. The fish oils, as I named, my DHA oil and my krill oil. I use uh, indole-3-carbonyl in my DIM product. DIM is indole-methane. D-I-M is very crucial for hormone balance and anti-cancer effects. So indoles are from the cruciferous vegetables like cabbage and broccoli and cauliflower and all that good stuff. 
but you need concentrated forms, count honorable forms and supplementation in addition to having those in your diet. So those foods and those supplements I just mentioned, those are to help balance the bad 16 estrogens and the 2 estrogens by helping the intestine properly detoxify so it doesn't make so much of the bad estrogens. And then there's melatonin. We need this stuff for sleep. It's anti-cancer. I use a combination of melatonin, three milligrams, with several other synergists, which help promote uh, sleep and have also been studied in female breast cancer. But if we don't have proper sleep, we can't deal with stress well. Our, our brains will not work as well. Everything is just thrown off. And when it comes to, comes to the thyroid gland, we want to well, the body to be able to convert T4 hormone into T3 thyroid hormone. We must have vitamin B2. And B2 requires a handful of other nutrients. We need selenium in the form of selenomethionine, and we need vitamin D. So I have a multivitamin, multivitamin uh, formula, which has the active forms of the nutrients. We do not want to be exposed to heavy metals. If we are, that's going to disrupt our thyroid glands. And those healthy goitrogen foods that I just mentioned that can help your body make good, healthy estrogen, well, they can slow your thyroid down. So now you should be thinking, well, this is very confusing. This is just something that um, a person needs guidance with. Some people that, I, that visit with me have done a very good job on paper of taking the right supplements and cleaning up their diet, but they still have issues with these hormones. Well, that's because this is a complicated topic. It's even complicated for me in the sense that it, it does take some, some trial and error to figure things out. But the fact is, if you know, uh, if you follow uh, a structure, we can get where we need to go. It just takes focus. And yes, sometimes you need a professional guidance. And as far as the so-called hormones in plants, they're not really hormones, they're pro-hormones. And yes, they're natural originally from a plant, the soy plant, let's say, the wild yam. They need to be converted in a factory, uh, in a chemistry lab, that is, with enzymes to turn them into hormones that look like the body's hormones. Uh, lots of nutrition is involved in that. But with the right testing, and I use my blood detective analysis, my way of viewing labs, we usually can make very controlled dietary changes that are easy to do and supplementation that's based on all of your health not just your hormonal health because the hormonal health is influenced by everything else. And everything else influences your hormonal health. Aging influences your overall health and hormonal health. Your fitness or lack thereof. Estrogens in the environment, in the, in the chemistry around us, in the air we breathe, known as xenoestrogens from plastics, for example, very toxic. Pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, which we're getting even if we eat organically. Because the organic farms are next to the non-organic farms. Look, it's difficult to, to, to imagine you can balance your health out in this toxic world, but you can. And that's where the proper supplements come in too because they give you the count all amounts of higher doses of nutrition. We need to modify our stress. We need to manage our other health, health problems as well. So in summary, you've been listening to Hormone Disasters, right? We want to keep in mind, we want non-processed, unrefined diet. We want six pieces or more of fruits and vegetables every day from organic sources if possible. If you're going to eat animal products, which I don't think you should have, 
make sure they're free range. You want adequate water intake. Reverse osmosis water is the best. You have to consider the nutritional issues involved in medications. You need to take the right nutritional supplements, whether it's krill oil or it's DHA liquid or it's my active folic acid or my DIM Supreme or my multivitamin, whatever it is for your needs, buffered C caps, my endocrine base formula, my adrenal base formula. We want to get the exercise in there. We want to reduce our stress. We want to get sleep. We need adequate proteins. Whew, that's a lot. Okay. For those of you who have been listening, my name is Dr. Michael Wall. This is Ask the Blood Detective. These are the topics that you have asked me to do, so I am doing them. And the next topic is how to kill inflammation. We're going to go through how to really do this. I'm going to talk about the foods, but I'm going to talk about the supplements correctly and what causes inflammation. How do we reduce our risk of dying prematurely from uncontrolled inflammation that we know now underlines most every disease? My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You can reach me at 914-552-1442. Happy to work with you either in person or from a distance. See you next time. Too late.